So if you've been listening to me or if you've read my book, you know that I love to talk about heuristics or shortcuts that our brain makes to keep us safe and happy and familiar. And one of those heuristics is status quo bias, which means we do not like change. We do not like change even when the cost to change is low and the benefit of that change is high. We would still things rather be status quo, but that's not often serving our organization. So we're going to dive into that today. I'm Cindy Wagman, your host of the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small organization. You are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So today I'm joined by my guest, Veronica Lafamina, who has over 20 years experience, both as an in-house leader and high-impact consultant. And she currently is a strategic advisor to visionary nonprofit leaders. And she is obsessed with change management, strategic change management. Veronica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Cindy. It's great to be here. I'm so excited because when we first met, you talked about strategy, but you said strategy is is important, but not as important as how we implement it. And that for me was just, it really resonated. So I would love for you to tell me a little bit about why you focus on this area of work, what your experience has been like in the sector. Yeah, I'm happy to. So my background in the beginning of my career was as a public affairs consultant. So public affairs, public relations, a lot of that has to do with how do we create an environment? How do we set the stage to make sure that our movement can be successful or that our message can be understood? So it has a lot to do with both understanding where things are right now and where we need them to be in order for our causes to get the kind of attention we want them to have in order for them to be heard when there's so much going on out there in the world. And so I did that work for a a variety of causes and for the U.S. government and, and Fortune 500 companies and associations. So Seeing that and how it worked in those contexts was such a great training ground when I moved into in-house leadership roles in the nonprofit world, where again, you know, we're dealing with these big changes and we're thinking about what does it take for this to actually stick? It goes so far beyond like the great, big, beautiful ideas we have and really comes down to, okay, but how do we turn that from this beautiful vision into reality? And so you know, starting in communications was a great place to be to mm-hmm. then move into this work that's focused on, yes, designing what I call actionable strategy, which is really important, mm-hmm. but then setting ourselves up for success, removing those barriers that are so common that so many organizations struggle with so that we increase our chance that that strategic plan or the strategy we've laid out becomes like a living ongoing document in our organization and not like a very expensive uh, bookend on the bookshelf, right? Like that's the aim. Like if we've invested the time and energy, we want to be able to see it through. And so many organizations do invest in that bookend, if you will, but that usually doesn't do that much for the organization. So I'd love to hear from you why you think I mean, aside from the heuristics that I talked about and the the biases, 
why does change fail in organizations or why do we fail to implement those strategic plans that we have and have invested so much money in? I'm like really passionate about this topic and could talk about it for a while, as you know, but a couple of key things. So there is research out there conducted by ProSci, which is a leading like change management training and research group. And so for more than 20 years, they've been looking at what does it take for change to really stick in organizations and what happens when it doesn't stick? Like what are the issues and challenges there? And so there are a few key areas that organizations need to be aware of so that we're setting ourselves up for success from the beginning instead of setting ourselves up to fail. One of them, and really the most important one, is this idea of having a visible and engaged executive sponsor. So in very large organizations, right, your executive sponsor tends to be someone on the executive team, someone with a lot of responsibility and who you know, need to be seen as leading an important change in the business. And what tends to happen is we get excited about a new activity. We put all this planning into how we're going to announce it and launch it. And then we treat that launch, that announcement, like the end of the change instead of just being the beginning. Mm. And so when executive leaders, when executive directors or senior directors at nonprofits get excited about something, but then become absent over time, it sends a signal to staff members who are our most important people in helping us execute on our strategy. It sends a signal that says, this isn't that important. There's going to be a different priority tomorrow. Mm. I can't make time to do this because leader is onto something new. And so I like to, with the leaders I work with, I like to talk about the fact that if we have a big change, like let's say we're looking to bring more of an equity lens to our work or we have a new strategic plan coming, or we're implementing a new piece of technology. How long are you willing to stick with it to make sure the change sticks? Because it's not usually a three-month or a six-month endeavor. It's oftentimes an 18-month or a three-year endeavor. And you have to really have like the stamina and like the wherewithal to stick with that. And it, that timeline also tells you you can't do all of these all at once. It just doesn't work. It's like when we all try to start good habits at the beginning of the year and you want to try five new things, it's really easy for those to fall off because we're not really built to do all of them all at once. Mm -hmm. So that visible and engaged executive sponsor leader who's going to stick it out sort of mentioned also like timelines and what I wrote down was sequenced, like you can't do it all at once. I'd love to also talk about, you You mentioned how important it was to get the rest of the organization involved in behind something. Where do we start to engage them in the process? And what does that look like if we want to encourage a change in their habits and how they work? So the answer is way sooner than you think, <laughs> right? So sort of traditionally in our heads, we think about board or a small group of leaders are involved in making a key decision about implementing a new technology, taking a new approach to something. They sit behind closed doors, they put together a plan, and then they announce it to the organization. Maybe there's a training, maybe there's some additional communication, but it tends to fizzle from there. If we can be honest with ourselves and say, we do better a, when we have more exposure to the reasons why something is needed and to what it means for us in order to change. 
we can understand that that needs to start earlier in the process. So especially as we see like with Gen Z staff, you know, taking like a larger place in our organizations, they're super interested in transparency. So while we may not be able to share all parts of the process, we can at least start telling people, this is something we're looking at as we look toward our priorities for next year or the year after, here are some key things we're thinking about. We'd love your perspective on either recommendations you have, thoughts, concerns, questions you think we should be asking throughout this process. So we're letting staff know in advance that this is coming without letting them know, here's the decision on where we're headed yet. Mm, It's almost like they're helping define the problem. Exactly. Because that gets more buy-in too from people who, whether or not they love the particular solution you end up with, they at least recognize that their voice was heard as part of the process. And so Mm -hmm. their voice may not be the single determining factor in the decision, but they at least were able to play their role as like an important frontline subject matter expert who's going to be the one who has to use this thing every day. Yeah. The other thing too is that communication when it comes to change is often like framed as a bunch of megaphone moments as we go forward, right? So it's very, we're announcing the launch, we're doing an update once a month, we're talking to people about the success stories and how this is all going. And there was a time where that kind of approach was more effective in organizational communications. But in 2023 and where we're headed, we have to create more spaces for dialogue and more mm-hmm. spaces for that are built on understanding, not just transmitting information. Mm-hmm. And so having that plan in place in advance, not just for the launch, friends, but to understand what's our cadence going to look like throughout this, what happens and when we get feedback that something happened that we weren't expecting, how are we going to manage that information, being really thoughtful to prepare ourselves and our staff for success so that and to reward them, frankly, when they point out something that's not going great, right? Because Staff also don't want to be the person who is like the bad guy for bringing up something that's not working. We want to reward them for helping us identify areas where we can work on continuous improvement throughout the Mm. change. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. So involving staff before you think you need to and and identifying that problem and, and in the process of the actual planning part. But then also, I love that point about rewarding staff for giving you the feedback and for bringing up problems or challenges because that's how you identify hurdles to overcome. That's so helpful. Well, I think too, and just like on that point, I think sometimes leadership can feel a little tender about (laughs) having problems identified, right? That I love that word. (laughs) Like they worked so hard. And the change not working is not a commentary on you as a human. It's just a commentary on how human systems work. And so if you are and other leaders, right, might say like, I, but I don't just want more problems. I need help with the solutions. And that's okay to ask for too. So when you're mm-hmm. encouraging people to speak up, ask them not just to identify what's wrong, but what they think might be a better way or if they can and suggest something that might be worth exploring. They may not have the perfect answer, but we can help our staff recognize that this is how we work, not just how leaders work, not just how those people over there work. This is our collective way of working that we're building as we implement this change. 
Awesome. Something you said just sparked for me this idea that like around milestones. So we have this strategic goal. We can see hopefully realistically that 18 months to three years is an appropriate timeline for meaningful change, which is exhausting. It's really hard to maintain change over that period of time. And even if we have that executive sponsor who's engaged, even if we have regular feedback loops, how do we keep people moving towards that? Because I feel like I would give up. (laughs) It's Well, I think the good news is the needs at each stage are different, right? So when we're talking about three years, for example, which is true, especially for a really big culture change initiatives. Like that stuff doesn't just magically return a switch and everyone's doing what we need them to do overnight. The key is to phase it out in ways that make sense. So often the beginning, the launch period, we're looking to build awareness of the need for change. We've hopefully done that in advance by asking for people's feedback or input in advance. We want to cultivate people's desire to change. So what is it that makes this better for them? And not just what's in it for me, but for so many staff at nonprofits, they want to know that this is going to be better for the community, Mm -hmm. but also that it will enable them to like scale their own like work and selves to better serve the community. Yeah. So that's an important element of creating that desire. They also, folks need knowledge like about what is the change? How do we make it? And so in some cases that might be specific training programs and then cohorts of staff, right? Who stick together afterwards to test stuff out, to be like, Hey guys, like here's this trick I figured out in the new system. Like I wanted to share it with everybody, give them that way of connecting with one another, but a big part and something that I think we can get some energy from and feel good about is not expecting everyone to get it right from the moment training has happened. And so like what we need is to create space and time to practice and for people to develop the ability to do the work. So when we're Mm. putting like unrealistic expectations, you know, six months or nine months out about how people are going to be performing with this new change and what that's going to look like, we are effectively saying we're going to give you no time to practice. (laughs) But practice is the type of thing, just like when we're kids, like learning to ride bikes. Mm -hmm. Practice is the type of thing that we get our energy and excitement from because we can see our improvement because we get to celebrate small wins because we get to see like, I'm this much closer to reaching my goal. (laughs) And then reinforcement is sort of that last stage. And that's where we say, this still matters, Mm. even though we're moving on to implementing other things, even though we have other stuff going on. So we might build it into like our quarterly accountability checkups with one another for progress. We might still ask for success stories down the road. We might talk about, you know, additional things that we've learned that we're looking to implement going forward, but continuing to show staff that leadership still cares about this. This wasn't like a congratulations, we put in the new CRM. That's all done. No, this is what we use every day in our work. And so the ability to keep making it an important part of what we do, mm-hmm. I think also can bring some energy for leaders because like, this is what we worked for. This was the whole vision at the beginning. And so being able to recognize that moment when it happens and to reinforce it with staff is really important. Is this a cycle that will repeat itself 
over and over? Or can we cultivate a culture of change that shortens the cycle? So the cycle will happen over and over. And also we can cultivate a culture of change that will do it, right? So organizations that, and I want to maybe talk about a difference here. So there Mm -hmm. are organizations that are going through a ton of change, right? So they're change saturated, change exhausted. Like we talk sometimes in change practitioner communities about change fatigue and how difficult that is, which means even an easy change feels like a billion times harder because you've just had so much change and maybe it's not operated as well or effectively as you'd like. And so the level of resistance in that culture is high, not because people, you know, not because your staff are bad people, not because they don't want things to be a better way, but because they are wiped out. And we're seeing a lot of that, right? And post-pandemic, as we're all kind of working in this new, primarily remote world, people are still exhausted and working to figure it out. If we cultivate a culture where we honor change, right? Like we recognize that change is just part of the process, but we are purposely intentional about which changes we're pursuing and when. That then helps our teams build confidence and they get to practice making change effectively, no matter what the change is, right? So they recognize that they need to go through these stages that they might recognize where they're stuck. Like that's my favorite thing is when staff start to recognize, oh, I don't really have the knowledge to do this. Okay, I really need to figure that out so I can move forward. And so that I think is really exciting because organizations that are intentional and thoughtful, it's not about cramming more changes in there, but it is about more effectively implementing and integrating the changes that we want to, Mm -hmm. that we want to put in the organization. And like, you know, not all change is intentional. Sometimes we're responding to outside or, you know, externalities. And that those changes can happen fast, like in a crisis environment, or if we're having to shift operations quickly because there's been, you know, a natural disaster or something like that. But that change happens out of necessity for safety and continuity. It's not how something becomes like change that lasts over time, right? It's a surge change instead of a sustained change. Awesome. How much change is too much change? It's such a personal question for every Mm. organization, right? A lot of it has to do with how ready you are. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with how much budget you have to dedicate to that change. Like, I think that's the other thing it's important for leaders to know is change itself takes person power and it takes investment, right? You may need a new way of training people in order to take on this change. You may need support from an advisor or project manager or communications professional to help you with some of these things. So you can't forget that those resources are needed. And if those resources feel finite or stretched in your organization, you may be able to do things like have board members participate in their areas of expertise, but it's still a situation where like you have to be real about what's available mm-hmm. to you. And so what I would say is that if you already are seeing that people are, are resistant to change in your organization, and again, I say that not in a judgmental way, but just in a reality of like it, they're unable to, or they are finding it really hard to integrate and incorporate change. You're at the too much point. (laughs) (laughs) 
And if you're like a visionary leader who has all these amazing ideas about where you want to head in five and eight and 10 years, document those. That is so important. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity there, especially like with your fundraising team to go out and fundraise for that vision. But you have to recognize that just because you had the ideas and put them on paper, the long tail of what it takes to actually effectively implement all of that is much different. And so I always tell people like, take whatever you think the length of the change is going to be and multiply it by two to three times. Mm. And that's probably closer to what is true. And so then if you as a leader need the bandwidth to be there and present and then active and vocal advocate for this, like how many can you do at once and still do your day job? Like two, (laughs) seven, probably not. You know, those are all good indicators about being honest with yourself about your organizational resources and your personal resources and resilience when it comes to being the kind of leader who is more likely to have this change stick. Awesome. Veronica, I feel like we could talk forever, but we can't. I want to wrap up on not a question, but something that I feel like comes up when we often joke about in our sector that like an answer to things is often we do that because that's the way we've always done it. Mm. And while you sort of describe your work as working with visionary leaders. I also know that there are leaders who need to invest in their strategic direction and actually make that happen, who maybe don't see themselves as naturally inclined to change or that that strategic plan gets tweaked every three years and maybe you update some numbers and that's about it. So is change necessary? And does it have to be important for everyone all the time? That's kind of glib, but like, do you know what I mean? No, it's true. I think there's a lot of pressure in our sector to keep changing, keep evolving, keep innovating. And my answer is always like, for what purpose? To what end? So much of it comes back to what is your vision and what are your objectives as a leader? So a lot of the advisory work I do with leaders is about gaining strategic clarity. So before you even have a strategic plan in place, do you know who you are and what you focus on and what you don't do and why? And not as many organizations have the answers to those questions really thought through and put down on paper as as we might hope. So I think for leaders where it's working, right, where they're continuing to deliver on their mission, where they are where they feel like they're serving their community in the way that they have intended and that's working, maybe you don't need to change right now. But if you've heard some of the things that are going on in our sector about needing to be more community-centric, about wanting to integrate more equity lens, you know, elements into your strategy and also how you operate, or if you just are hearing from your staff that, things are good, but you can tell that maybe they're exhausted or stuff's not going right. There may be opportunities for changes that you haven't really considered. So it might not be about how you deliver your mission differently, though that might be a question worth asking. But usually there's at least something that we might want to improve or tweak. And these principles don't just have to be for major overhauls. They can really help us understand what it takes for human beings to change, 
help us think through how to make it easier for them to change or increase their motivation. So they're more Mm -hmm. likely to do the behavior that we want them to do. And I think too, that leaders in this kind of role where it's like, it's working, they've been in their space for a while. You know, the one question I always encourage organizations to ask, especially if they've been around a long time is, what is the modern expression of our mission? Mm -hmm. Are we delivering on that? You know, a lot of the organizations I've worked with have been around 40, 70, 80 years. And so the conditions under which they were founded are so different from the conditions we're living in today. And that doesn't mean that the work that's happening right now isn't still relevant and important, but I think it's good to have like that self-reflection and gut check and understand as we move forward, what is it that that looks like to deliver on the modern expression of our mission and what it means right now to be doing this work. Mm. And often there's a lot for us to learn and grow into. Oh, amazing. You are so wise. Where can our listeners (laughs) connect with you? Thank you. My website is lafamina.co and I blog about nonprofit strategy and leadership and culture and change communications quite frequently there. I also really invite people to connect with me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of writing and conversation starting on these topics as well there. You have amazing LinkedIn posts. So go (laughs) connect with Veronica Lafamina on LinkedIn and check out her website. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is so great. My pleasure. And of course, to you, our listeners, see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.